So we're continuing our series on un, uh, underrated, and today is the last day of the series that we'll be going in into. Next week, uh, we'll be online. Everyone will be together online for Palm Sunday, and Pastor Jen uh, will be uh, leading us in, in the message that Sunday, but today marks the end of Underrated, and I really do hope that some of the things that we learned in this series, I pray that it was um, a benefit, a blessing, a challenge in order to not just uphold us, encourage us, but also to keep us going in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This, explore, uh, this series, what it did was explore some parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ that we sometimes underrate in its importance in having a deeper encounter with Jesus that actually transforms us, that changes us. And there are certain things that we experience in the Christian life that we underrate in terms of its potency and its effectiveness. Uh, you know, one of the dominant themes that we see in the biblical story is this kind of like meta story of the Exodus. The Exodus is a story of this kind of in-between space. Remember before the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. Whatever got them there, they started out well. It started out strong. It started out with this great blessing that God gave to Abraham saying, you will be a, a, a blessing. I will make you into a great nation. And as they grew into a great nation, at some point, something faltered. Something happened where this great nation fell into slavery. In that same way, for some of us, we may have been living a great life in our youth or in our present day, and things have been going good, but then something happened. And whatever that something was, we found ourselves locked under this oppressive force that wasn't there before. And we can't even remember the time we were released from that oppression or, or from that challenge and from that difficulty. It feels like we've been in this forever. And that's probably what the Israelites were feeling like in the slavery of Egypt. But what we see in the Exodus, when God called Moses to lead the people out of slavery and into this vision, the vision that God promises is this promised land, this new space where it's flowing with resources. It will be a blessing to you. You will grow in your identity. You will renew in your strength. This land of promise that was given. But in order to get there, they had to go through the wilderness. What separated them from slavery and their previous oppression and this promise of a different life that was supposed to be transformative where they're not only close with God but now they live in into this blessing that God wants to give to them so that they may also be a blessing to the people around them what the challenge that laid between was the exodus was this time of dryness was this space of wilderness. You know, we see the same thing with Jesus too. Jesus being born and we have this Christmas day, right, that we celebrate and saying Jesus dwelt with us, God with us. And there's this great celebration that takes place and that Jesus was going to begin his ministry to show what it means that God is with us. But what separated from the coming of Christ to the beginning of his ministry was even for Jesus was the 40 days in the wilderness. Before he really went into his purpose and his call and his ministry that was going to transform people around, uh, around him. He too went through this journey. You see, there's this meta story that all of us have. And it, for some of us, we don't just experience one wilderness from one moment to another moment. There's always these wilderness in-betweens that we need to get through to get to the place that God is leading us in. You see, it was Moses and Aaron's job to shape and to prepare each day's journey for the people of Israel, as they were going through this for, the, for 40 years, 
They need to shape it with the courage and the persistence that the people needed. So they would continually move in the right direction so that it'd be helpful for them and that it would eventually get them to where they needed to be. I want to share an illustration with you guys to begin uh, things. And uh, right after the illustration, we'll go into our small group time. Uh, where in the small group time, we'll just uh, share a little bit and get our hearts and our minds engaged before we get into the heart of the message. The illustration goes like this. There's this one young farm boy, and it was really, really late at night. Um, the mom knew that the barn door was still open, and the mom is busy in the kitchen just trying to wrap things up, clean things up, and, he ga- and she gave instructions to her son saying, hey, son, I know that you were playing in the barn earlier before, but that barn door needs to be closed. So can you go out and close it before we wrap up for tonight? And so this young uh, boy, this young farm boy, he said, sure, mom. He ran out, and less than a minute later, he runs back in. And the mom's surprised because she knows it would take longer than a minute for him to close the barn door. And he says, what's wrong? What happened? Why are you back already? And his reply was, Mom, it's so dark, I can't see where the barn is. And so because of this, the mom dug through her pantry a little bit, grabbed the flashlight, handed the flashlight to the son. He said, here, use this. This should help. And again, young boy ran out less than a minute, ran back in. And she's like, what's the problem this time? And the young boy said, it's so dark. Even when I flash my flashlight to where the barn is, I still can't see the barn. And the mom responded to the young boy by saying, you don't need to see the barn. You know where the barn is. All you need to do is walk to the end of the light. You see, the illustration that we can all learn from here is sometimes in our life, it feels like we're going through a dark moment, whether in our faith, our relationship with God, our relationship with community, whatever it might be. We have this kind of dark moment that we're walking through, and we know that the ultimate end of that journey is there. We know the barn is there. We know that God is there. We know that our relationship with God, it is real. But the thing is, we can't see it at certain times. So when we go out, the darkness or that wilderness, that time of dryness, It frustrates us. It scares us. And so we walk back in. And God equips us with light, with his word. And with his word, like this flashlight that is in our hands, where David says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we hear this, we're given this, and then we walk right back out into into that darkness And we know that it's kind of in that direction that we need to go. But as soon as we walk out, we still can't see it. We still don't feel God. We still can't really see this whatever healing, whatever uh, experience of God that we're longing for. We can't see it yet. And just like the mom said, the young boy, we need to take heed. Where God reminds us, you don't need to see it. It's there. All you need to do is walk to the end of the light. See, when God gives us his word, he says, walk with it. And as we walk with it and we get to the end of that light, what we notice is then that light shines forth the next few steps that we need to go. And then in that next few steps, all we need is the courage to keep walking in that direction. You see, the boy knew that the barn was there. But the fear of darkness overwhelmed him. Where he kept running back in. And the mom told him, just walk to the end of the light. And eventually, because you know the barn is there, eventually you'll get to where you need to be. In that same way for each one of us, we hold God's word. We can't get rid of the flashlight. We can't put the flashlight away. That's our saving grace. What sustains us is what encourages us in our moments of dryness, in our moment of darkness. Now, we can wander in there without that. 
but it'll make things increasingly more difficult. God gives us his word. He says, shine the light. Learn what David learned. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It will guide you for that moment, even if it's just for that day. It will guide your mind. It will guide your heart. And then when you walk towards the end of it, the next day again, he gives you his word. You, you um, spend time, immerse in his word, and it shines forth the next few steps for that day. And you keep going, and eventually you'll find yourself at your destination. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. It's a little bit long, uh, but bear with me. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along. It reads this. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of of the Lord." Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your hearts that as man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this Sunday morning together. And as we continue through your word, will you meet with us, Lord? Each of us? Especially in those spaces where there's dryness. Especially, Father, for those who have been in the wilderness for so long that we've gotten lost. We've lost motivation. We don't know, Father, whether we want to continue on or not. Lord, your presence, it means everything to us. And sometimes it really does feel that you are nowhere near. But as we go through today's word together, will you once again reveal yourself to us? Will you help us, Father, not give in to the deceits, deception of the evil one? Let our hearts not be hardened, cynical towards you. May we be open to your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to lead us today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what do we do when we're experiencing that wilderness? When we're experiencing that drought of dryness? When God brought us out of this kind of place where we were oppressed or we were struggling and then we know 
that that's not the kind of place that God wants us to remain at. And maybe that's why some of us, we began to engage in God's word again. Maybe we began to engage in church community again. We're giving it another shot. So in that same way, in that meta-narrative, it's that place of slavery with Egypt. And now God moving us into this space of wilderness with the promise that the land, the promised land is to come. So what are the rules of this wilderness? What are some of the principles that we can take away from this meta story that we see through the journey of the Israelites? Well, I think the first one is this. The worst thing that we can do when we are in the wilderness, the worst thing that we can do when we are going through dryness, the worst thing that we can do when we are in our darkness is to stall. You know, one of the things that we see as a takeaway from this, uh, from this passage and from the 40-year journey that the people of Israel went through is refraining from stalling. We all know that the journey itself, if they went with God as God's presence was leading them, if they went with Him, did not cower away, but they walked with faith, they should have been able to get from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan within two weeks. The journey itself was really just a two-week journey. But the people refused. Maybe it was because they were so hurt and they were so oppressed by their previous oppressors that they couldn't trust God enough yet. There were some parts of their brokenness that kept them down and kept them, um, uh, restricted them from really trusting what God had to say and the challenges that were ahead, but would have gotten them there sooner. But instead of just camping out right in front of the promised land and just staying there, God keeps moving them from place to place within the wilderness. They don't just stall and sit there and just keep looking at the promise and saying, when do we get to go in? God kept moving the people. We cannot stall when we are awaiting for that promised land to come. Look at what Deuteronomy 8.2 says. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Remember, it was a two-week journey. And God could have just said, hey, you know what? You missed your chance. Sorry, you missed the boat. You guys figure it out. I'll come back 40 years later. And then when you're ready to cross over, we'll cross over together. He doesn't do that. God stays with them in their darkness. God stays with them in their emptiness. God stays with them in their wilderness. And as he stays with them, he leads them even if it's not exactly the result that they wanted immediately. They wanted the promised land, but they're in the wilderness. And God says, I'll still be with you here. And he leads them here. He says, led them all the way. He never abandoned them. His presence is always with them. When we look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 36 to 37, look at again what Moses says here. He says, in all the travels of the Israelites... Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. What's happening here? As Moses is summarizing the book of Exodus, he summarizes it like this. While we were in the wilderness, if God's presence moved, we moved with it. If God's presence stayed, we stayed with it. See, notice that God's presence is more potent and impactful for our life when we choose to follow God's presence. You know, there are going to be times in the wilderness where God's presence lifts us and directs us in a certain direction, but we don't want to move. And the reason why is because we're already tired. We have already exhausted all of our strength or all of our our, 
uh, our strength to be able to meet on new challenges. Maybe we just need some convenience in our life for a little bit. For whatever reason, there are times when God's presence would move that people would just say, but we just settled here and it's, it's okay here. We found our patch of water here. Why do we have to move? We don't get insight in why God's presence moved the people throughout the wilderness every now and then. But I do have my guesses. And part of the guesses that I have is the wilderness is a very dangerous place. Not only is it dangerous because of the lack of food and water, but also dangerous because there are raiding nations that could have come to them and attacked them when they're not ready. And so in my understanding, I'm, I, I can think that perhaps the reason why God would say, okay, it's time to move, is that maybe there was a nation that was coming through that direction. And with, if they stayed there, they would have had to face more battles than what they had to handle. In the same way, when we look at our life, God moves us at times according to his sovereignty because he loves us, he shepherds us, and he brings us to pasture where we need to be. You know, for us, sometimes when God challenges us with a move and he says, go in this direction, we refuse and we just decide it's better here and we stay here. And when we do, we put ourselves at the risk of distancing ourselves from the potency of God's presence. You see, God will never leave us or forsake us. But when God is saying, let's go in this direction, the potency of his presence is experienced in that place, in that new direction, not where we're currently at. We may have experienced some por uh, portion of his presence here in this place, but when God's spirit says it's time to move, we must move despite how inconvenient or despite how it may not make sense to us at that given time. See, the principle was this, when God's presence moved, so we follow it. Why? Because we want to continually be impacted by the potency of God's presence while we are still in our wilderness. So what this is to require, in order for us to keep moving with him, it does require us to have humility and trust. We can't be stiff-necked like what uh, Moses describes as God's people. That they had hardened hearts. They were stiff-necked. They refused, and they kept on refusing. We need to learn humility in our ways, and we need to learn how to trust, especially when we are in the wilderness. See, when we don't, we begin to miss out on the feeding, on the presence, and the benefits of God's presence that he wants to bring into our life, even while we are in our dark spaces. See, many times when God brought them into a new place, that new place they would complain, where's the water? In that new place they would complain, where is the meat? But God always provided. In the same way, not only are we called to move with God, but when He settles, when He calls us to stay in a certain place, we have to also learn how to stay with Him. So what do we do when we are just in a place and, we don't, and we're called to stay? What do we do in that state place where God told them what to do? He says, every day when I give you manna, go out, collect it, bring it back home, and eat it. In that same way, we have to make sure that we are continually being consistent with our life with God. The manna represented God's word. He says, every day go out, gather it as much as you need, come back and eat it. That same way, each day that we spend in our wilderness, we cannot say, I'm not going to go out today and gather it. I'm not going to go out today, spend time with God. I'm not going to, I'm going to, you know, put that aside. I'm tired. You know, I deserve my rest. No, we have to be consistent. You see, if we read on, we see the reason why God was leading them and preventing them from stalling in their life. When we see in Deuteronomy 8, 2 to 3, he says, he did this so that he can continually humble us. So remember that stiff neck 
stubbornness that, that we're prone to have, this um, stubbornness of our hearts, he keeps moving us to prevent us from stalling and becoming hard-hearted and from becoming more stubborn. So he says he does this to humble us and then to test us in order for us to know what's really in our hearts. It draws out some of the things that are in our hearts that we harbor, that we harbor against God, that he says, I want to bring this out so that you can begin to deal with it with me. See, he says, this is why, he says, I caused you to hunger. But this hunger wasn't just so that we suffer hunger and we suffer the lack of food. He says, so that we may experience God feeding us. It wasn't so that, okay, fine, you're not going to follow me. You're going to be so stiff-necked all the time. Hunger, right? You're just going to starve, right? He doesn't do that. He does that because he wants to feed us with himself. That even in our darkness, even in our, in our emptiness, in the circumstances that we are surrounded by, that we trust that God still sustains. He sustains us. This is why that what we learn in the passage, he says, I wanted to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is so important because all the, all the time we are tempted to rely more on the things that our strength gathers for us. We're so tempted to rely more on our jobs and the financial security that it brings. We're so tempted to rely more on significant relationships and and to believe that these things are the ones that give us life and give us identity. We're so tempted to lean more on our leisure and our entertainment value or our vacations, whatever it might be, to bring rest to our weary bodies and our souls. But what God says is, man does not live on these things alone. What really sustains, he says, is my words, is my presence. And he wants us to understand that. He wants us to know that. So look at what happens. He says, so he caused us to walk a lot. He doesn't cause us to stall. He causes us to walk. And we're like, oh my goodness, this is so difficult. Walking in the blazing sun and following you. And there's no water around. What's going on? And what we don't recognize and what the Israelites missed that Moses had to remind them of is he says this. And remember, as much as you felt cynical and angry and upset that God's not with you, did you forget to notice that never once did your feet swell with all of that walking? Did you never once stop to realize that in the 40 years that you were going on this journey, your clothes never wore out? It's amazing. Like it's, it's these subtle things that God does in our life where he reminds us, I'm with you, right? And yes, I'm going to lead you. Yes, it's going to feel like it's difficult, but there are certain things that I'm sustaining you in that sometimes we don't recognize. We don't even know. And then when we look back, we're like, oh my goodness, that's true. I didn't get sick during this. Oh my goodness, that's true. I didn't have these kind of like meltdowns in this kind of area that I usually do. And yeah, I may have been angry in this, but this didn't happen that I I normally fall victim to. See, for the people of Israel, even though they were in the wilderness, God never made them stay still. He says, keep moving. Keep following me and be consistent. And this kind of leads us now to the second principle. The second principle of times of dryness or when we're in the wilderness is this. Don't make constants into variables. We have to avoid the temptation that we all have of making certain constants in our life into variables. What does that mean? Well, let's read together Deuteronomy 8, 6 to 9. It says this. Observe the command of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat, uh, 
and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Remember, he's saying, here's where I'm leading you to. But the key for us to properly handle all of these things that God is wanting to bless us with is this constant. Do not forget to observe the commands of the Lord your God. These are, these are our constants. You know, for us, we're so prone to making constants in our life into variables. How do we do that? Well, Sunday worship. During the pandemic, it was hard. We're coming online. We feel like, oh, this is not the same thing as uh, sometimes being in person or talking with people. And I'm getting Zoom fatigue. I'm, I'm experiencing all of this kind of stuff. So you know what? Whenever I feel like it, because it's putting me into a darker space or, or I don't know if this is something that I can keep engaging with. God says, no, observe the Lord, the commands of the Lord your God. Keep your Sabbath holy. Don't make these constants into variables. For some of us, sometimes we look at God's word and we feel like, oh man, I'm getting nothing out of it. Or I don't know if I can keep on engaging or I need a break from it. No, don't make these things into variables. Keep it constant. Sometimes we say, you know what? Community, forget it. You know, I'm getting tired of it. I don't want to keep engaging with people and, and keep uh, finding a space where I can be accountable with and keep others accountable as well. No, keep your constants constant. Don't make them into variables. You know, this is what the people of God were prone to do. They wanted to skip out. They didn't want to keep these constant they made them into variables and because of this they had even greater difficulty knowing why God was leading them understanding his love motive behind why he was directing them and having the trust to know that even when God brought them into a new space where no water was God would create water for them why would God lead you to a place with no water of course God will provide but they kept going through their own mindset saying, oh, why would God do this? It's better for me to have died in Egypt. And God is saying, how many more times do I have to keep on providing? Right? And for you guys to know, I can make water come out of rock. I've already shown you. Right? So even if there's no pond or pool or oasis around, I will provide you with water. Even if there's no meat around, I will bring the birds, right? And they will just flock around you. Even if there's no bread around, I will send manna from heaven. See, the thing is, when we make our constant variables, our perspective changes. We make God the variable. Is God going to show up this time? Is God going to be consistent? He is. He's faithful. But our perspective changes when we make our constants variables in our life. You see, there are two reasons that we need to keep these our constants. The first is this. The constants, it keeps our minds grounded in God's truth and our spirit fed by God's word. It keeps our minds grounded in God's truth. But so easily our minds wander into dark spaces and cynical spaces very quickly. By keeping these constants, it keeps us grounded in God's truth and doesn't give Satan that foothold to bring deception into our minds. The second thing is our spirit, the spirit that we all have within us, we feed it with God's word. You know, sometimes it doesn't feel exhilarating. You know, it's not exhilarating to eat your three meals a day, right? You're not like, wow, cereal this morning again. Wow, cereal again tomorrow. Like, it's, it doesn't bring us like this, wow, this kind of exhilarating thing. But you need it. We all need it. We know what happens when we go without food for a while, right? We get sluggish, right? We get angry, right? We become short-tempered. Right? It affects us. And God's saying, feed your spirit because sometimes our spirit acts the same way. Our spirit gets sluggish. 
right? Our spirit gets cynical and angry, right? Our spirit feels like, I don't want to hope again. I don't want to try because it doesn't have energy. It doesn't have strength. This is why we easily get sidetracked and we become led astray by that. And we see this happening in the camp of Israel so many times that Korah and his whole group, because they were not consistent, they began to do other things and explore other things to entertain them, whether it was through sex, adultery, idolatry, whatever it was. They said, hey, these things look like more fun and it can occupy, entertain us for now. And that's what they did. They made those variables their constants rather than their relationship with God. The second thing is this. The second thing that God wants us to keep our constants, the constant and not um, make it variables, is that he's preparing us to properly handle the coming blessing. He's preparing us to properly handle the coming blessing. How do we know this? Well, he says it right there. Don't forget to keep the Lord's commands. Don't forget to continually observe God's commands. Why? Because it says, for, the Bible says in verse 7, for he is bringing you in into this land. That's going to be well watered. That's going to have meat everywhere. That's going to have fruitfulness left, right, center. He says, because of this, I'm bringing you here. Keep that observation. Observe the Sabbath. Observe these constants in your life. Why? The reason why, look at um, Deuteronomy 11, verses 8 to 9. Moses says, observe therefore all the commands I'm giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so that you may live long in the land. See, Moses was letting the people know the blessing is coming. But there are challenges to receiving it. There are challenges there for you to get it. So observe these things to keep your trust in God. To keep grounded in his truth. And to have faith that God is bringing it and not your strength. Because we will be tempted to look at our own abilities and say, nope, I'm not going there. Just like the Israelites did in their first go around in trying to get into the promised land. They said, nope, the people are bigger. We can't do it. And God said, did I not just overthrow the superpower in Egypt, which is the greatest superpower of that ancient near, uh, um, Middle Eastern world? Did I not just do that? And now you are doubting me? See, this is what happens when God wants to give us a blessing. Our minds, it falls into this trap of doubting. In, in Deuteronomy 11.23, Moses explains that we need this strength to trust in the Lord, to drive out these nations before us, so that we can dispossess the nations larger and stronger than us. Brothers and sisters, remember we said, in our wilderness, we're moving out of our brokenness in our slavery to this new blessing. But the brokenness follows us. And he doesn't want that brokenness to become the narrative in which you live by and which you are trapped by in this new space of blessing. What would be the point of getting this new blessing and we spoil it with our brokenness? He says this is why we need to learn how to walk with him. Because it gives us the strength he says, to overthrow nations that are stronger than us. In other words, it gives us a str strength to overthrow the brokenness that's oppressing us. The things that we feel like they're too strong for us. This constant in God's word is what keeps us grounded in this truth. Now here's the last thing that I want us to take away from in our times of dryness. This last principle that we get when we are in our wilderness. And it's this. Cling only to God. Cling only to God. Look at the uh, last part of today's passage from Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 14. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, 
when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You guys see the cycle that is happening? The people of of Abraham, God met his promise. They became large and they became prosperous. And everything they had, it began to grow. But they began to forget the Lord their God. And despite having all of that, they fell into oppression and slavery under the Egyptians. And now being led out of that, God is saying the same thing will happen. Let's not repeat the narrative. Let's not repeat the story that when you get into this new land and in this new land, I provide you with all of these good things that you, that you again forget me. And then because you forget me, you use these blessings the wrong way. And then you fall into idolatry again. You fall into slavery again under these things. He says, let's stop that cycle. Do not forget me. Because once you do, we restart Egypt all over again. See, in the wilderness, if we cannot learn how to cling only to God when we don't have much, how is it possible that we think we can cling to God when we have everything that we need? In our wilderness, when we feel like we don't have much and we still can't cling to God, what makes us think that when we have everything that we need, we will cling to God. You know, one of the things that I most appreciate, I'm going to, you know, let me be, you know, the proud husband at this time. But one of the things I most appreciate about my wife is her generosity. Um, there's an expression in Korean that goes something like, you know, your hands are really big, right? And it sounds like an insult, but it's not. It just it, What it means is that uh, you are very generous. Your hands are so big that when you give people stuff, because your hands are so large, you give them a lot, right? And I, I think that is the perfect expression of Hewa. Her hands are really big. She's very generous, right, with whatever she has. But I have to be honest with you. Sometimes her generosity or her big hands it drives me nuts. And the reason why it drives me nuts is I remember in my, in my past church experience, you know, we had a lot of younger people in that place. And I would have, you know, some money in my wallet. And sometimes at the end of the month, you know, rather than having blue colored bills, I would have like a few green colored bills in my wallet. And I'd be like so happy at the end of the month. Oh my goodness, I have some extra money. And I'd be like thinking, you know what? With this extra money, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save up for something that I've been really wanting to buy, you know, and indulge myself in these kind of things. And I'd be so happy that at the end of the month, I would have a few extra green colored bills, right? But then when we're driving home from church on multiple occasions, when I, whenever I would have any money in my wallet, my wife would say to me, oh, I forgot to tell you, I gave that money away. It seemed like other people, they needed it more than you did, so it's gone. And I'd be looking at her like, that's great, very good, good for you. And it drive me nuts because how can you get mad at that? But at the same time, you know, my indulgence and my greed, I'd be like, but that was my money, right? I wanted to spend it. And my, my wife would say, they needed it more than we did, right? It's okay. And so that's what I would have to live with. I remember on one occasion, I know that some people, they've been having a struggle during the pandemic financially, and it's been difficult. And it's the same with our family too. We had some issues with our house, with our car, and it just never seems to stop, during the, especially during the pandemic. And I began to try to figure out ways. How do I create more income? And so I just started to go on Kijiji. <laughs> I started selling stuff from my house that I didn't need. And, and there was this one item. It wouldn't sell, but I knew I could get the most return for it. And it took me a year, but I sold it, right? And I was so happy. I was so proud of myself. I sold it. And it was a pretty good return for it. And I showed my wife, ah, I got this money, right? I was so happy. And I gave it to her. And I said, let's use this to pay off this expense. And we both agreed. And guess what happened? A few days later... I find out my wife coming back to me and say, hey, remember that return that we got from Kijiji? I gave it away. This person really needed it, right, more than we did. And so I gave it to them. And do you know what I said to my wife at that time? I just looked at her and I said, 
I needed it. Me, me, me. I needed that money. When you talk about other people, I needed that money, right? But then that's just her thing. She is faithful even when we don't have much. That when God provides us with grace, when God provides us with this extra income that comes in that we're not expecting, rather than hoarding it, her constant in that place is continued generosity. You see, brothers and sisters, in our wilderness, when we don't have much, and we don't learn how to cling to God and observe his commands, what makes us think that when we have a little bit more, that we're going to suddenly become more faithful? That's one of the things that scare me, by the way, that when God gives us more, I won't see a penny of it. <laughs> My wife will just keep going, boop, boop, let it rain money on everyone else, right? But not on us. But this is what God is trying to teach us. He says, when you get into this new land, I'm going to give you more. When you finally get into this new place and you're out of your darkness, out of your wilderness, I'm going to bless you. But I want to prepare you now. Because when you don't have it and you don't cling to me, what makes you think when your life becomes more settled, you have everything that you need around you and even a surplus, more than what your heart desires? What makes you think that you'll still hold to me and you'll still cling to what is right to become that nation? But remember the Abrahamic blessing that he gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your great name. And what was the last part? He says, and you will be a blessing. They went through that, all that hard stuff, all of that difficult stuff when Abraham had nothing, not even a son to become a great nation. God says, don't worry, it'll come. It'll take a, a little bit of time. You're going to go through your wilderness too, but it will come. But when it comes and you are blessed and you multiply and all of these can come in your life, he says, this is part of the covenant. You must be a blessing to others. The promise is we will be blessed. The variable here is, but will we be a blessing to other people? If we don't cling to God, our tendency is towards selfishness, is towards what he says here. We will look to our own strength and we'll say, it was by my strength I've gathered these things. And when we have that kind of attitude, there is no grace. There's comparison that happens. We begin to think to ourselves, well, I did it, so don't be lazy. You do it too. Well, I did it. I got myself out of it, so you figure it out for yourself. He says, no, I've given you these things that you may be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, as we participate in communion together and as we are wrapping up this series on underrated, May we not underrate the value of this wilderness experience, this time of dryness that we're going in, the space in between that God leads us in to experience him more deeply. And look at the promise that he gives. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we take communion together, let's remember that. I want to invite you to get your communion element as you get your piece of bread or your wafer, look at the promise that Jesus gives. He says, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. Make me the constant in your life. So, brothers and sisters, before we take this together, let's go into a time of really quick prayer where we can prepare our hearts to see if there's anything in me, Lord, that keeps you from being my king, from being my Lord. Help me to surrender that. Forgive me of my wrong posture, my relationship with you. Bring me into a right posture of relationship with you. Let's make this our prayer together. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Father Lord, for the hope that we have that as we go through our wilderness, as we go through our time of dryness, that you, pr that you promise sustenance even to the point where your own body is broken so that we can be so brothers and sisters as we take the wafer or the bread together let's remember that God has given his body for us give us let's take it together in the same way he took the cup of the covenant and he said to his disciples this is my blood has been poured out for you. Take, drink, and remember me. The blood of Christ, it represents two things. It represents first, the forgiveness that he has given us to heal us of our brokenness. The second thing that it represents is God's blessing, the promise of God's blessing to come. And so as we take this together, let's anticipate that. Lord, thank you that along this journey, in my emptiness, in my darkness, you are healing me. You are preparing me for the blessing to come. Brothers and sisters, let's take the, the juice together. Father, thank you so much again for the promise the absolute promise of your son. You are a sustainer. You are the one, Father Lord, who continually leads us and prevents us from stalling. You are the one, Father Lord, who is our constant. And we need to keep you as our constant and not make you our variable. And you are the one, Father Lord, the only one in which we can cling to, we can hope in. I pray for each one of your precious sons and daughters in this place. Will you fill them, Father, with your blessing? Will you surround them with your Holy Spirit? Will you be with them in their time of dryness? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.